The God of love and peace be with you. Amen. Our text for our sermon is Isaiah chapter 40, verses 1 through 11. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak to the heart of Jerusalem and call out to her. Her warfare really is over. Her guilt is fully paid for. Yes, she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice is calling out. In the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. In the wasteland, make a level highway for our God. Every valley will be raised up, and every mountain and hill will be made low. The rugged ground will become level, and the rough places will become a plain. Then the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all flesh together will see it. Yes, the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice was saying, Cry out, and I said, What shall I cry out? All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like a wild flower in the countryside. Grass withers, flowers fade, when the breath of the Lord blows on them. Yes, the people are grass. Grass withers, flowers fade, but the word of our God endures forever. Get up on a high mountain, O Zion, you herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, you herald of good news. Lift it up, do not be afraid. Say to the cities of Judah, Here is your God. Look, God the Lord will come with strength, and his arm is ruling for him. Look, his reward is with him. The result of his work is in front of him. Like a shepherd he will care for his flock. With his arm he will gather the lambs. He will lift them up on his lap. He will gently lead the nursing mothers. This is the word of our Lord. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we know from our gospel lesson today in Mark that this text was pointing to John the Baptist. But just reading the wording of this text in its context, it's clear that while John the Baptist is a fulfillment of this text, it's not meant to exclusively and only be about John the Baptist preparing the way of the Lord by preaching repentance, showing the need for a Savior and that the Savior was coming. This text looks ahead over a hundred and some years to the time when the Babylonians would come and destroy Judah as God's discipline for the people of Jerusalem and Judah constantly chasing after false gods and breaking the covenant with God. And yet this text is meant to be a text of comfort and the comfort that it has still applies to you today. And so our sermon theme for today is you have great news of comfort once again, I will be preaching on my translation of the Hebrew to bring out some of the nuances that otherwise make for clunky English. And so our text begins, Comfort, comfort my people, you guys as God keeps on saying. Notice this is said in the plural. It's more than one person. For people like Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego hauled off into exile, it would be a wonderful comfort for them to know that God had already planned to comfort them and that right away from this prophecy, God was saying he's still their God. He still considered them his people. You have great word of comfort to share with other people. Comfort God foresaw coming that you can tell the world that God is their God. By the faith that he puts in our hearts that Jesus is our Savior, we become his people. And so our text continues, Speak over Jerusalem's heart and so call to her that her forced labor has come to an end, that he has paid off her crooked sins, and that she has received twofold from the hand of the Lord in regards to all her sins. 
So right away our text, looking ahead to the Babylonians and then to the Persians who would allow the people to return, God is telling them this discipline is not going to last forever. And the word I translate her forced labor has come to an end is in Hebrew the word that's used, for example, during the Vietnam era when men who maybe even didn't agree with that war were drafted and had to serve. Jerusalem had no choice in this. Babylon hauled her off. She had to go where Babylon had determined as part of its discipline. So it's forced labor, but it's come to an end. But then he says he paid off her crooked sins. The Hebrew word used for sins here is the Hebrew word for when we take God's will and we bend it to suit our will. For example, there's a commandment that says thou shalt not steal. But some people say, well, I went and I paid cash and the cashier wasn't that smart and they gave me more change than what I had coming back. It's a small amount and it's not stealing. That person should have known better. We're taking God's clear will and we're bending it to suit ours. Whenever we take God's word and say, well, God's word's clear about this, but I think it would be better. Boom. Stop right there. We're bending God's will. The Israelites were guilty of it and we are today. But God here says he's paid it off. You and I know that that has been paid off by the blood of Christ who suffered the punishment that our sins deserve and who was perfectly holy for us in our place. Now, the last sentence there in verse two is baffling because it says that she has received I translate twofold from the hand of the Lord in regard to all her sins. Now, we've got to be careful how we understand that, because if he's talking about her punishment, God's not saying, I gave you double the punishment that your sins deserved. But there was a twofold punishment. Jerusalem would go off into exile. And because Babylon would be allowed to destroy the temple, there would be a spiritual exile as well. They had thought, we have the temple, God won't allow anybody to destroy us. They thought wrong. There was a spiritual discipline as well. But there was also a twofold blessing that came. They would be allowed to return, they would be allowed to rebuild, and God would still send the Savior. So there was plenty of blessings that God would give to those who had remained faithful and to those who had repented and even to the rest of the world who doesn't care about the Savior until God sends a messenger to them. But here in these verses, just as Jerusalem would look to the exile, but God says that that will pass. It's a limited discipline. I've set the time limits. You and I live in a world where we live under the cross. Sometimes that cross is persecution from unbelievers. Sometimes that cross is a discipline from God, like from Jerusalem, so that we no longer are embracing a sin. Sometimes those crosses are things like health issues and financial issues where we can look back and see what God had in mind, the good that he was using that for. But other times... It's just by faith that we're able to understand God had something good in mind. But you have great news of wonderful comfort for the world around you. Because the world around us suffers crosses and God allows it to suffer hardship so that they will seek him and live. But part of the message that you have to comfort brothers and sisters in Christ and even our unbelieving neighbors is our crosses do have an end. God has set a time in which he will say this has accomplished what I had in mind and now we will lift it. Next, 
Starting at verse 3, we're told, A voice is calling out, In the desert clear the path of the Lord, in the dry plain straighten the path for our God. Every valley is being lifted up, and every mountain and hill are becoming low. The hilly country is being turned into level country, and the impassable regions into open valley. Now, we know again from our gospel lessons that this was especially pointing to John the Baptist, who literally conducted his ministry out in the desert. But at the same time, John the Baptist pointed to Christ. He prepared the way for the Lord by showing people that they were sinners who needed a Savior, and then showing them when the Savior came that he was the Savior. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You also have great news of comfort because in your life, you also are privileged to prepare the way for the Lord. Whenever you show somebody their sin, not in a condemning pharisaical way, but for their good, so that you can tell them of the Savior, you're preparing the way for the Lord. When you, who have the Holy Spirit living in your heart, go to work, and often don't even realize it because it's a natural function of your new man, you live in the light of somebody who is saved, as somebody who is connected to the Savior as a branch is to the vine. The world sees you living that out, and you are preparing the way for the Lord because they are paying attention. Verse 5 says something amazing in connection with all this. It says, Then the glory of the Lord will be revealed. Then all flesh together will see it, because the mouth of the Lord has spoken. In the book of Exodus, after the people had made a golden calf, and God says, That's it, I'm done. And Moses intercedes for them. Moses asks the Lord if he can see his glory. And the Lord says, I'll hide you in the cleft of a rock and you can see my passing glory, but no one can look at the fullness of my glory and live. And that's what makes verse 5 so amazing. Then the glory of the Lord will be revealed. The glory of the Lord was revealed, and it's what we're looking forward to as we build up to December 25th when we celebrate the, the birth of our Savior. The glory of the Lord was revealed when Jesus Christ took on human flesh. Certainly, he didn't show the full glory. But if you want to know and see God's glory, you look to Christ on the cross. You look to Christ born. You look to Christ off the cross. The world says that looks like somebody getting beat and murdered. But there's God's glory, atoning for your sins. When they asked to see the Father, Jesus said, If you have seen me, you've seen the Father. You see, Jesus is true God who became true man. And so when he took on human flesh, we call that the Incarnation, People were seeing the glory of the Lord through his humanity. But this text doesn't just say, and then they'll kind of see the glory of the Lord. We're told, then the glory of the Lord will be revealed. Then all flesh together will see it. Now we've jumped ahead to the last day where Christ raises everybody from their graves. The unbelievers are going to hell and not getting glorified bodies, but all flesh will see, oh, this is truly God, and they will truly see all of his glory. And then there's the promise, because the mouth of the Lord has spoken. God has revealed it. God has promised it. And so you and I have a great news of tremendous comfort for the world around us and for our neighbors. The Lord has prepared for us to see his glory. We see it whenever you tell others of the good news of forgiveness and salvation in Christ, and ultimately all will see it, but for you and I and those who trusted in Jesus as their Savior, that will be a wonderful day in which we receive our glorified bodies. So you have great news of wonderful comfort. 
Our crosses have an end, and the Lord has prepared for us to see his glory. Verse 6 says, A voice is saying, Call out. And he said, What should I say? All flesh is grass, and all its committed love is like a flower of the field. Grass dries up, a flower withers, when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. Grass dries up, a flower withers, yet the word of the Lord keeps standing forever. Do you notice something about this text? The person who's supposed to be proclaiming the word of God, who's supposed to be comforting, seems to remain somewhat ambiguously hidden. And we know it points to John the Baptist, but we also know it doesn't only point to John the Baptist. And here we're just told a voice is saying, call out. And we're not even told, we're said, and he said, what should I say? I believe this is intentional. When you have the message of forgiveness, the wonderful comforting message to share with others, it's meant that you are the messenger and the messenger is not the one who receives the emphasis. The message does. As Christians, we have to be careful not to get confused because we can show times when we had crosses in our lives and we can discuss how the Lord got us through them and how we saw his hand at work, but it becomes a temptation of our sinful nature to make the message be all about us, the messengers. Oh, and then look at how great I am. I had this message and look at how powerfully I shared it and look at how people fell at their knees and look at how wonderfully I learned this lesson. Me, 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 me. But here, the message is what's being emphasized. The messengers, they recede. You and I function the best as priests when we're focusing on God's message not on ourselves. And the message is that all flesh is grass. And people tr struggle how to translate that next section of verse 6. And I translate it, And all its committed love is like a flower of the field. The Hebrew word used there when it's talking about God is how merciful and kind he is. This Hebrew word can be loveliness. But I think it's actually emphasizing when human beings are kind and gracious to each other, it's a beautiful thing, but like the flower of the field... Fall hits and it withers and it dies. Or as is being compared here in the desert, the rains quit coming and then it dries up. This life is very transitory. I know that I'm going to die. And you know that you are going to die. We do not know the day. But we do know it's very transitory. We're told grass dries up, a flower withers when the breath of the Lord blows on it. There's a picture of the wind and the Holy Spirit is often compared to the wind. When God determines that your time of grace is over, that's it. You either were a believer and are going to heaven or you were an unbeliever and you're going to hell. You may leave a bit of a legacy behind, but as each generation comes and goes, less and less will be remembered of you. That would all seem hopeless, but we're told, yet the word of the Lord keeps standing forever. The Hebrew here is ongoing, making it very clear that this continues standing forever. This is a wonderful message of comfort that you have for the world around you. This world is transitory. People who never mean to break their promises will make promises to you, and things outside of their control will happen that will keep them from being able to make their promises. But God's word stands forever, and God has promised that everyone who believes in his Son for salvation is going to live, and they will live forever. God had promised before the Babylonians ever came that he was going to protect 
Jerusalem and they would be allowed to return and he kept his promise. God had promised that the Savior would be born in Bethlehem and he kept his promise. You have great news of wonderful comfort. God's word stands forever. So when he made a promise to you at your baptism, when God promised you that everyone who believes will be saved, that stands forever. He's not going to change that promise. And so our text continues, Get yourself on top of a high mountain, O Zion, who brings good news. Lift high in the strength of your voice, O Jerusalem, who brings good news. Lift it high and do not fear. God here, using Zion and Jerusalem as pictures of, of the invisible church of all believers, is telling them, you've got a message, proclaim it loud and proud and do not be afraid. You too have a message, proclaim it loud and proud and do not be afraid. Say to the cities of Judah, behold, you guys is God. That archaic word in English, behold, is the best way to translate. Look, here is God. He's standing here. He's, he's working behind the scenes. He's hidden, and yet he is present, and he means it, and his word stands forever. We're told, behold, the master Lord is coming in strength, and his arm is ruling for him. Behold, his wages with him, and his rewards is before him. This is terrible English, but the point that's being made out, what is God's wage? God went to the cross to earn salvation for you, and he earned your soul. You're his wage. You're his reward. You have the privilege of sharing that message. But see, this is how God earned the flock in which he's a shepherd. So verse 11 says, As a shepherd over and over again grazes his flock, in his arm over and over again he gathers together his young lambs, and he carries them on his chest. Over and over again he caringly escorts those ewes that are nursing. God here builds up, making the point that he with his mighty arm is ruling behind the scenes. He is keeping his people who are his flock. He purchased and won them. He is the good shepherd. And even those mothers that are nursing, he doesn't just drive them along in the desert till they drop and, well, they should have kept up. See the picture of carrying his little lamb. See the picture of his strong arm ruling for him. He's not some kind of a sissy shepherd. See how gently, though, he is with those that have the young. You have great news. God is your good shepherd. And in this world, you are members of his flock, and he is gently leading his flock, guarding, ruling for his flock, keeping his flock with tender care as if each and every sheep is his individual favorite pet that he loves. And so... We look at John the Baptist preparing the way of the Lord by preaching repentance and showing that the Savior had come. And just as much as this points to John the Baptist, it points to you. You have great news of wonderful comfort. Our crosses do have an end. God sets a limit to them. The Lord has prepared for us to see his glory. God's word stands forever and God is your good shepherd. Get on top of a high mountain and proclaim it and do not be afraid because you have the most comforting message of all and that message stands forever. It is God's word and promise. Amen. Now may the God of hope fill you with complete joy and peace as you continue to believe so that you overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. We confess our faith using the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty 
maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Let us pray. Eternal Father, throughout the centuries you repeated and affirmed your promise to send the offspring of the woman to crush the serpent's head. Through your prophets of old, you continually directed the eyes of your people to the advent of their Savior. We praise you, O Lord, for keeping your promise and sending your Son to destroy the works of the devil. As we prepare to celebrate the birth of our King, use your mighty word to shatter our pride and rouse us from spiritual slumber and apathy. Move us to take to heart the words of John. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. You sent your Son to redeem us from sin. Let this good news be our joy and strength. Use it to cheer the lonely, encourage the fearful, and give hope to the despairing. In these days before Christmas, spare us from the stress of deadlines and the frenzy of commercialism. Fill our lives with the message of your peace and the music of your grace. Direct our eyes not only to the manger, but also to the skies, where we will see your Son coming again, not as a lowly child, but as the Lord of Lords. Lift up our hearts in joyful anticipation of that day. We ask you, O Lord, to remember our brothers and sisters to whom trials and troubles have come. Let the knowledge that you rule as king empower us to share with others the glory of your rule now and in all eternity. We ask you to rule in your kingdom of power to keep the COVID virus from spreading in our congregation and bless the vaccines that we may return to our normal gathering together with all of our brothers and sisters in Christ. Hear us, Lord, as we bring you our private petitions. Come quickly, Lord Jesus, in your grace, in your power, and in your glory. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord look upon you with favor and give you peace. Amen.